Well, hello, oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. And your co-host, Lexi. And this is Oddities on Elm Street. Welcome back for episode 26. Been through six. I don't know why I thought it was 27. God, I'm really questioning myself I'm sorry. again. I don't know why. I think it's 26. Yeah, it's 26. Because <laughs> we didn't count the interview. Right. That uh, was a bonus. Yeah, so. Bente Seis. Yeah. Bente Seis. You'll hear this. Week 19. Hokey smokers. Lovely. How'd that happen? I don't know. I, don't know I just. All of a sudden. Yeah, we just woke up one morning and here we are. Yeah. Um, In case you are not aware, this is part two Mm. to last week's episode. We covered the North Fox Island, Oakland County child killer case. Mm -hmm. That's a mouthful. That's a lot. Oh my God. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go listen to it. Otherwise, you're going to be super lost. Yeah. Yeah, I will do a quick recap before we get into it because, you know. It's been a week. Well, um, do you have your tidbit? Yeah, I'll do it after the tidbit. I'll do it before we jump into part two. Because, I don't know, I feel like it'd be hard to remember what we talked about last week. Well. I I don't even remember what I had for breakfast, so I can only imagine people listening. So, I'll make sure to go over that. But first, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that I announced the giveaway last week, Mm. just happening on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. You can find it at Instagram.com slash Bobby Curtis Lee. There haven't been a ton of entries yet. So I feel like, and that's, I mean, that's okay. Because I just, I feel like everyone who does uh, enter the giveaway actually has a really good chance of winning. So that's great for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the giveaway. Mm-hmm. Um, I said last. I I fucked it up, and I'm sorry. I said last week that we'd be announcing the winner today, but then I kind of realized that that doesn't make sense because we record on Fridays, so that so would only have, give like- people two days to enter. Um. Whoops. We'll do better next time. So. Folks. <laughs> It'll actually end next week, Friday, and then we'll be able to announce it that following Wednesday. Right. So if what, that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So did. it's yeah. Um So it'll be the twelfth. Right. Will be the last day. It'll to enter. end on the twelfth. I'll announce the winner on Instagram. And then we'll come here on the podcast and announce the winner again mm. on yeah. that following Wednesday. Cool. Which I don't know what date that would be, but. Um, yeah, and in case you missed the info for that, we are partnering with the Mysterious Package Company. They're giving away their game, Postmortem, The Ghost and the Machine. It's really cool. Be perfect to solve with your friends. Set the mood. Mm-hmm. Get a glass of Set wine. Set mood. Some coffee. You know, get your spookies on. Mm. Act like real life detectives. It's always fun. 
I can't wait to do ours. I know. I keep on thinking. We gotta about set that. aside a time. I know. I know. I know. We really do. We need like an entire day to get catch all up these on everything, things. right? Yeah. So yeah, go enter a giveaway. You won't regret it. I promise. It's a good one. And it's at Bobby Curtis Lee on Instagram. It sure is. It'll be there. Um. Okay, let's do our morbid tidbit. This is the one you sent me last week and oh yeah i forgot about it until now yeah cool so an uber eats delivery driver was murdered while delivering food to a man that is affiliated with the ms-13 gang this is my first time hearing about them same so yeah this driver this uber eats driver he was 59 year old randall randall cook um it's really sad because his wife reported him missing like he just suddenly stopped answering her messages uh back on april 19th and he actually told her that he had just one more delivery to drop off before going home but then like he stopped answering around 6 30 she knew that something was wrong when he didn't you know show up and uber eats gave detectives the last known whereabouts of randall they could see that he was at a house on Moog Road. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah. That's how it's spelled. But one of the occupants of that home was a convicted felon named Adrian Solis. Solis? Solis. Like, no soul? <laughs> no. It's S-O-L-I-S. Hmm. Maybe there's a better way to pronounce that. Uh, I don't know. So, yeah, they were able to get the security footage from the house from... Adrian's roommate, and it showed Randall walking up to the home. The motion detection camera went off before abruptly going dark just a few minutes later at 6.45. And then the next morning, Adrian is caught on that same camera walking around the house with another man, and then they come out with trash bags in their hand before dragging a heavy trash bag along the ground. So... Obviously, they went and looked in the trash bags, and it was the remains of Randall Cook. I guess his roommate also reported hearing loud noises coming from his room at 2 a.m. Who is this roommate? Why are you living (sighs) I don't know. And I guess the food that was being ordered wasn't even for this Adrian guy. It was for his father. So, like, like who thinks of this? Like, I'm just going to fucking murder the food delivery what like Like, for what did he even know that he was coming or like he just showed up at the door and he's like i have no idea i have no idea i guess he like decided to just pull him inside the house and fucking kill him i don't know and i don't know like how long he was alive i don't know if these loud noises that the roommate was coming or was hearing around 2 a.m i don't know if that's him being killed or him like, being dismembered. dismembered? I don't know. Oy. So, yeah, they found blood in his car, uh, blood-soaked rags around his property, and they found the DoorDash bag that Randall was seen carrying on the security footage. They also found his car keys and his wedding ring that <sighs> Adrian kept in his possession, so that was enough for them to arrest him, obviously. Jesus. But yeah, and there's like, at this point, nobody knows what the motive is. It just seems like completely senseless. Yeah, like truly. 
I don't know, like, who would even think that way? And, like, there's, it blows my mind that people like this actually think they're going to get away with stuff like that. Are like, they, I'm just going to keep his possessions. I have a fucking camera. Care? Right. I just, I don't, well, it's, it's very sad. I feel awful for his wife and his family. I cannot imagine. And the fact that it was his last one. I know. I know. They do have a tip line set up. So, if anyone has information, they can call. It's 1-800-706-2488. Okay, so... Can we maybe first throw in, before you put that in there, Ohio native. (laughs) We're really really glad that you're okay, but you scared us, man. Um, And whoever the fuck said they missed my cup, here you go, it's back. (laughs) Love ya. Yeah, those are our YouTube comments. So lovely. I love our little support system. It's very it's, light. It's it's makes me happy. I don't know, I know. why I got so happy when when you someone said noticed that. your cup. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'll bring it back. Well, there you go. It's here. <laughs> um, before we get into part two, I'll do a quick recap on part one. And just like I did last week, I want to give a warning for this episode as well because it does involve crimes against children. So that's not something you want to hear. Probably skip this one. Mm -hmm. In last week's episode, we talked about Frank Sheldon. In 1960, he purchased North Fox Island and built an airstrip on it. And it was on that airstrip that him and his partner, who was a gym teacher, Gerald Richards... Mm -hmm would fly young boys to this isolated island. In the 70s, Frank and Gerald began to run a pedophile ring. They began recording and distributing child pornography. The island is being run under the guise of a charity called Brother Paul's Camp, and the men who sponsor the island by sending in these charitable donations are actually doing so so that they can gain access to the island and pretty much do whatever they want right and they're very um high-powered yes people university teachers politicians elementary school teachers principals right right yeah so by the time police actually catch on and start to do something about these men that are involved in this frank and the other men involved are able to flee Except for Gerald, who is arrested and out of prison within 10 years. Also, just so you don't forget, he's the only one without money. Right, because that's how that works. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time this all comes to light for the public, there's a bigger story taking over the headlines. A serial killer targeting children in Detroit. Not Detroit. Oakland County. Close enough. This killer is first connected to the murders of 12-year-old Mark Stebbins, 12-year-old Jill Robinson, and 10-year-old Christine Mahulik. A common theme among these cases is that police notice that children have been freshly bathed before being killed and placed on the side of the road. During their investigation, police receive a tip from a man named Greg Green, who is a self-admitted pedophile. He says they should look into his partner, Chris Bush. He thinks that Chris Bush might be responsible for the murder of the first victim, Mark Stebbins. 
When police arrive to Chris's house, they find child pornography, along with other things that they believe could be connected to the murders, so they arrest him. Both Chris and Greg pass polygraph tests, but because of their other crimes on children, they're both arrested. Chris is able to post bail, but Greg isn't, and is eventually sentenced to life in prison even though he's being charged for the same thing that Chris is being charged for. Because that's how it works here. Yeah. And a week after Chris gets paroled, another child, 11-year-old Timothy King, goes missing and is found dead on the side of the road. A few months later, Chris Bush is found dead of an apparent suicide in his home. Suicide, quote-unquote. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't at all seem like a suicide, but that's the conclusion they draw. And above his bed, pinned on the wall, is a hand-drawn picture of a boy that very closely resembles Mark Stebbins, screaming. The first victim, Mark Stebbins. Lastly, when I ended last week, I talked about how back when Gerald Richards, that gym teacher was imprisoned for his role in Brother Paul's nature camp. He gave police a list of clients who had donated Mm -hmm. to the island Mm -hmm. to give them access. One of the names on that list was Chris Bush. Right. So, it seems that this is all connected, but back during the time that it was happening, no one understood how connected it really was. Right, and... um North Box Island was really not being reported on. Exactly. You know, it was really just kind of like a local thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that brings us to part two. The task force that's working on that case was disbanded, so not much was being done. The only... After they found Chris. Right. Because they were like, yep, okay. They pretty much just you know, called it unofficially solved. Right. This was probably who did it. We're just gonna, you know, close it up. Yeah. Yeah. So they only had one guy who was assigned to the case. He would basically just take in leads and book them in if he needed to. And there was nothing of major importance until 1993. So we know that Frank had fled to uh, Amsterdam. Mm Mm-hmm. He got involved with another child pornography ring over there. Imagine that. Oh, my God. And in 1993, this pornography uh, distributor was caught. Police sent these photos of the Oakland County child killer's four victims to see if they could possibly be recognized in any of the pictures or tapes from the distributor in Amsterdam. But that lead was a dead end. The families of the victims waited for decades for any answers. They put their hope in the idea that law enforcement was working to solve it. But as all of this time was passing with no updates, Timothy King's family requested records of their own to see if they could come to some sort of conclusion. And while Timothy's family is looking into it, so is a man from the prosecutor's office in Wayne County named Detective Williams. Which is kind of crazy because it that all kind of happened, it was like happenstance because Detective Williams was reading through a transcript of a completely unrelated case. 
when he saw something that caught his attention. Really? It said, I know who did the Michigan snow killings. Right. So, Detective Williams, after he sees that, he knew that he needed to talk to this person, and his name was Richard Lawson. So, he contacts Richard Lawson and basically just says, hey, we know what you said Mm -hmm. about knowing who committed these murders. And Richard says, no, I said, I think I know who did it. And then he talked about a group of people he used to hang around in the 70s. One of those men was named Bob Moore. And there's a lot of names involved, so Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if it's hard to keep up, but I'm going to try my best. Mm -hmm. So Richard Lawson and Bob Moore would hang around in Detroit and would prey on lower-income neighborhoods. They were specifically targeting children of broken families or kids whose parents weren't always available to be there with them all the time. Like kids who'd be willing to just go with a stranger for cash or drugs. And this man, Richard Lawson, said that his friend Bob Moore used to enjoy filming these children and that they would also attend parties where people would bring other children to swap Isn't that fucking crazy to think that that actually goes on? And that, like, nothing is being done. Like, that's just happening out in the world. These are normal people that have families and jobs, hold high up titles, and and are among us in society and are going to parties where they swap children for the night. Does that not blow your mind? That is so fucking crazy to me. I wish that I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's like stuff like this almost makes you feel like ignorance is bliss. Yeah, truly. Because then it's like you you see the world in a completely different way. Yeah. Like, how do you trust anyone? You don't. It's just so fucking messed up. Especially when you have a child. Like, a I don't yeah. know how you do it. I would. I don't know. I don't know how anyone does it. it sounds horrible. That's so scary. I'm trying to trust anyone, and then you think of all the other cases that you know we talk about of, or you hear about of people finding out that their husband is, yeah, this horrible terrible monster. Man. Well, what it, it isn't um, Jerry. He's a husband and a father. And a new father. Right. Yeah. Like, um. And he just, on the weekend, is going to North Fox Island and assaulting little boys and taking videos of it. Right. Like, that is, there are, there are so many people involved in this. How do you know anyone? So many. You really don't. Yeah. Like, even your own partner. You don't really know. How much do you know? Right. There's only so much. It's so crazy. And it's freaky. It's so, yeah. It's terrifying. And it's sad. It's, God. So, uh, Richard Lawson, he also says that Bob Moore would sell these photos and films to a man named Frank. The same Frank who owned North Fox Island.
So this, at the time, probably didn't strike Detective Williams as a very important detail because he's new to the case. He's still putting all the pieces together because, remember, he's not looking into the pedophile ring on North Fox Island. He's looking for any leads to solve the Oakland County child killings. Mm -hmm. So everyone at this point is still believing that these are two completely separate cases. Unrelated. Right. Another name that Richard Lawson mentions during the interview with Detective Williams is Ted. He says that he doesn't really know what Ted's last name is, but he kind of remembers that it might start with like an L-A-M. So Detective Williams starts to look back at all the previous tips that were received in this case, looking for anything that resembles that would resemble right. a Ted L-A-M. And he finds it. Theodore Lamborghini. So the tip that this name was on stated that this person, the one who reported the tip, was at Bob Orr's house, and on the coffee table was a photo album full of pictures of children. And one of the photos in this album looked eerily similar to Timothy King, who at that time had just gone missing. So someone among the group points it out, and the rest of them just start laughing. What? Yes. So Detective Williams finds Ted Lamborghini. Ted admits he is a pedophile, which is like, this is a common thing among all of them. Yeah, I'm a pedophile, but I had nothing to do with it. Why aren't these people in jail? <laughs> like, he's admitting to being a pedophile. That's just, I, just crazy. Like, <sighs> yeah, I murder people, but not them. Right. Like, I'm not <sighs> responsible for that one, though. Sorry. You know, you got the wrong guy. So, yeah, he admits he's a pedophile, says he has nothing to do with the murders. He agrees to take a polygraph to try and clear his name, what but he fails oh, good. miserably. So, they start to look into Ted's victims to try and see if they can kind of get an understanding of how Ted operates. Mm -hmm. And these victims report that he would force them to get clean, just like the children who fell victim to no. the Oakland County child killer. When Detective Williams confronts Ted about his failed polygraph test, his only response is, God's forgiven me. <sighs> yeah. Bro, it just keeps getting crazier. Oh it really my God. does. He, that's literally his fucking response. God has forgiven me. Yeah. Yeah. That's all he has to say. Um, And, like, that's literally all he has to say. So, obviously, that makes him look like the prime suspect. Detective Williams wants to have him take another polygraph test. They even offer... Ted protection if he agrees to take a second a second polygraph test mm -hmm. because right now he's being charged with 17 counts of molestation and as many of us know uh, protection in prison for a child molester is huge yeah but mm -hmm. 
Ted does something unexpected. He not only declines the polygraph test, but he completely stops talking and just pleads guilty to all 17 counts. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't go for a plea bargain, nothing. So it's like, is, what is, is he afraid of something? Right, that's like someone, like. Is he trying to protect himself? Because at that point, it's like, okay, he knows that he's going to prison for these 17 counts. Um, so if he, if he knows that he's going to prison and he's being offered protection, he must think that protection is not going to do him any good. That whoever is behind all of this can still reach him in prison. And that's like, I think this is such a bigger thing than we can ever comprehend. Like, I think they have people on the inside, people in law enforcement, like it has to be. And you'll see why, like, the further we get along. So, yeah. Just like that, another lead that goes nowhere. Just, like, all of a sudden, just, you know. Just clams up. Right. Yeah. Bows his head in shame and says, okay, yep. Yep, I'll just accept it. It's crazy. But Timothy King's family, who's looking into the case themselves, Mm -hmm. they have a lead for Detective Williams. And I do want to say I'm going to give credit to Crime Junkie because I got a lot of information from their episode on this whole topic mm-hmm. because the host, Ashley Flowers, I believe she kind of like worked with Timothy King's family to get information about what they uncovered during their investigation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I could not have done that myself. I am not Ashley Flowers. So yeah, Timothy King's family is looking into this case. They give a lead to Detective Williams. The King family spoke to a polygraph expert who happens to be a family friend. And this family friend told the King family that he was approached by another polygraph examiner who said that during a private polygraph, a man had confessed to the Oakland County child killings. But he wouldn't say the name of the person because he's already broken the law just by saying that much. Which is like, if you're going to break the law, just fucking do it. Yeah, do it right. Right? So, the only thing he would say is that the lawyer of this man had requested the polygraph for his client. Which is why he's not supposed to be talking about it. But he said that Both the lawyer and the polygraph examiner who was performing this man's test were found dead. I told you it just gets fucking crazier. I can't make this shit up. Oh my god. So... Detective Williams starts searching for this polygraph test. It happened back in 1977. And he finds one that he thinks fits the bill. And the man who is being tested was Chris Bush. That's who failed the polygraph test that was so hush-hush. And then the lawyer. That was the guy who supposedly 
told his private polygrapher right. Who then showed that up he dead. was responsible for the killings. So this <clears throat> name, Chris Bush, is new to Timothy King's family. Like, they don't know about any of this. But Detective Williams already knows the name Chris Bush. But despite Chris and Greg being cleared based on the fact that they had originally passed their polygraph tests, mm-hmm. Detective William Williams still wants to look into this. Good. So he contacts an independent polygraph expert to look at the results for both Chris and Greg's polygraph results. And this expert says, I have no idea who would have told you that these men passed. So it's like, what is it that we're not seeing? Like, this has to be part of something bigger. Was the original polygraph examiner paid off? Was he threatened? Was he part of it? Like, what do, what are we not seeing? You know what I mean? Like, these seem to be the same questions that are being brought up with every single person we come across in this case. Like Ted Lamborghini. Why all of a sudden is he not talking? Was his life threatened? Is he a part of it? Like, was he paid off? I don't even... I don't even know what to say. It's just... Right. There, I mean... You can't even wrap your head around it. Um... So, yeah, when Timothy's family learns about this, obviously, they're fucking livid. Uh-huh. Uh, this was a great suspect that was cleared for no reason. A week after he's cleared, their son is murdered. Chris Bush gets to post bail, and a week later, their son goes missing and is found dead on the side of the road. Because someone said that the polygraph was was fine. Was fine, and, and he was he let had, go. He had lots he had, of money, so... Yeah, because they couldn't charge him with the murders. They were only going to charge him with the child pornography. Only. Yeah. But not only that, but now the man who seems like he could be the killer is fucking dead. They can't even pull him in for questioning. Right. It's just... It's out of reach. You can't. Yeah. So, again, they still have absolutely nothing. So, the King family takes that information to the media because, again, they're fucking pissed off at police, rightfully so. Yeah. And they begin to openly accuse Chris Bush of Timothy's murder. Mm Mm-hmm. And the public was outraged. Good. But, obviously, public outrage doesn't mean that the case is going to be brought to trial. And although all of that brought the story back into headlines, it died back down just as quickly. Until 2009, when we now have this advancement in technology. Because back in the 70s, DNA testing, not really a big thing. So, I don't even know that they had DNA testing in the 70s. I think it was, like, under development. So, they were taking DNA samples so that one day they could go back and retest stuff. Thank God they did that. I don't know. Yeah. 
So Detective Williams, who's now looking at the physical evidence in this case, finds more evidence that was booked, including hairs that were found on a victim. And these hairs were found on the third victim, Christine Mahulik's shirt. So now in 2009, they're able to do DNA testing on these hairs. And the results are shocking. The DNA matched a man named James Vince Gunnels. Wait, I'm sorry. What year is this? 2009. Okay. So James's DNA had already been in the system because of crimes that he committed when he was an adult. Mm -hmm. But as a child, he was actually a victim. A victim of Chris Bush and Greg Green. And this man, James, he's still associated with Chris and Greg as, as he got older, probably like as a result of grooming, you know, you yeah. see that sometimes. Yeah. And the police wonder if it's possible that James was a part of their team to lure young children to Chris and Greg. Because, you know, we see this sometimes with sex trafficking, like women. Men will use women to go out and find victims for them because women are more likely to trust other women. Mm-hmm. Or like have a car seat for a child in the back. Right. Yeah. So, you know, maybe this was a way for Chris and Greg to have better access to children by having another child lure their victims to them. So they go to this man, James Vince Gunnels, who is now in a Michigan prison. They tell him, Hey, we have your DNA on a victim of the Oakland County child killer. Mm-hmm. And they basically say, we don't think you did it. And even if you did, we probably wouldn't hold you accountable because of your age at the time. We just need your help. Mm-hmm. But he says, hey, I can't help you. I really wasn't there. But I was in Chris's car a lot. So I'm sure my hair was all over the place. So while... That doesn't really give detectives much. Mm-hmm. It kind of tells them that it was it's possible that Christine Mahulik could have been in Chris Bush's car at some point. And that's kind of the only connection they can make from it. Right. So if he's telling the truth about not being involved, how else would this hair have gotten on Christine had she not been in Chris's car? So detectives at this point, they decide to give this guy, James, a polygraph test. The first one, for some reason, he tries to throw him for a loop. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. But the second one, he fails specifically on three questions. And they all involve Christine Mahulik. The questions were, did you participate in any way... In the killing of Christine Mahulik. Do you know for sure who killed Christine Mahulik? Did you have any physical contact with Christine Mahulik? He said no to all of those questions, but according to his polygraph test, he didn't answer truthfully. But at this this time, you know, polygraphs aren't admissible. Right. This is now 2009. They don't put nearly the same amount of faith mm-hmm. in these that they did back in the 70s. So from that alone, there's really nothing they can do. 
But again, maybe they could get more evidence. They still had other hairs on the other victims that needed to be tested. And one of those hairs was found on the jacket of the first victim, Mark Stebbins. And there were two hairs found in the nose and around the groin area of the fourth victim, Timothy King. Which, that alone cannot be explained by just somebody being in your car. No, no. Like, you had to have been with that person when they had their clothes off. Yeah, yeah. So, they test these hairs and they find that the hair from Mark and the hair from, the hairs from Timothy match the same person, but unfortunately they didn't match any of the DNA that they already had on file. But if you remember in part one, I talked about how there were hair samples taken out of a car of a man named Archibald. Yes. So Archibald was the name given by a parole officer who called a tip in shortly after Mark Stebbins' murder. Archibald was a known pedophile in Pennsylvania who'd moved to Michigan, so Detective Williams goes back to those samples that were taken from Archibald's car, and when the results come back, they find that the hairs in Archibald's car were in fact a match to the hairs found on the first victim, Mark Stebbins, and the fourth victim, Timothy King. So, the hairs found in his car were not the victim's hairs, they matched the hairs found on the victims. So obviously police find that out and they think, okay, we have our guy. It was fucking Archibald this Mm -hmm. whole time. Not only is he a pedophile, but he was also previously a firefighter during his time living in Pennsylvania. So they came up with this theory that because firefighters are given badges it could have possibly allowed him to prey on these children mm. because sometimes, you know, children are more likely to go with someone of Anyone authority. Else. Yeah. So to police, they think they might have actually finally figured this out. So they go to Archibald now with probable cause and they ask for a hair sample to try and match his DNA to the DNA found on the two victims. But it doesn't match. So, Archibald may not be the killer, but he has to be involved in some capacity. Maybe his car was used to dispose of their bodies or something of that nature. Right, right. And he didn't tell investigators decades ago, but he likely knows who the hair belongs to. So, they go to Archibald in prison... He, by the way, is serving a life sentence for assaulting a co-worker's child. And they interview him for three hours and tell him, look, we have these hairs from your car. We know that you know something. And they're putting pressure on him. They leave out the fact that they know the hairs don't belong to him. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't always have to tell. No, they don't. They legally don't. Yeah. Um, but they do that out of the hopes that he'll think that the murders are going to be pinned on him. So So he'll he'll turn on whoever, right. right. 
but no matter how much they pressed him, he would not talk. So they offer him immunity if he'll talk. They said they'd put him in any prison that he wants. They they even offered to tell people that he was there for check fraud so that he wouldn't be... He didn't have to be in solitary confinement and he wouldn't be... Fucking like, harassed right. for being a child molester. Right. So obviously that's a huge deal. Like, you can't just no, choose which prison you go to. And pedophiles are almost always targeted. So again, it just makes you wonder, like, who is he protecting? Yeah, like, what, what is... makes you not take that? Right. Just like the other guy. Yes. Or maybe the person he's protecting is himself because he knows that if he talks, he'll end up dead like the rest of them. Right, right. Well, that's that's exactly... <sighs> what else would it be? So although Archibald wouldn't say he knew who the killer was, he did have something to say. The car that you found all that hair in, I actually sold that car. I sold it to the state police lieutenant's son. <gasps> so this is when things get weird. I mean, it's already, it's been weird for a while. It wasn't Jerry... Because he did the mug shots? Or is that not what we're talking Because who was it that had... No, you're you're right. It was Gerald. Gerald that had His dad worked. Being, yeah. Yeah. As a... I don't know what kind, I, but an officer I think he was an officer. Because he would take mug shots. Hmm. You're on to something here. See, I didn't even make that connection. But it very well could be him. Wait, you don't know who it is? No, it's unsolved. So, a detective who has been really familiar with the case, like, his entire life, he gave an interview in which he stated that there was actually a sample taken from Christine Mihalik's jacket. Mm -hmm. The sample that came from that was saliva, and it matched the DNA that was found on Mark and Timothy's clothing. Or I should say, their bodies. Their bodies, because, right. Yeah. So, the detective in this interview, he goes on to say that they actually looked into the lieutenant's son. The interviewer asks, like, how were you able to clear him? Yeah. You know? And he doesn't even really give an answer. He just, he claims he can't remember. He can't remember the guy's name, and he just says, I'll follow up my, with my partner. So he, he does. He follows up with his partner, and his partner also can't remember the name of the lieutenant's son that they looked into. But they don't know why they That they don't him. know how. Right, right. So now, as Detective Williams is looking into the case, he's asked about it, and he says... Yeah, we knew that the lieutenant's son had the car, but there was no DNA found on Christine's jacket. But you have to remember, he's looking into this decades later. When they found Christine's body, if there was really DNA on her jacket and they booked it into evidence and then said, hmm, I think that actually links 
the lieutenant's son, son to the murders. So we're going to exclude that from the evidence file. I don't know where it went. And now you have Detective Williams in 2009 looking into the case. And he says there was no DNA from Christine Mahulik's jacket. <sighs> do we know? Do we know? Oh god! I mean, how many lieutenants were there in that time, and how many of them had sons? Driving age? I, uh, I don't know. I hope. I don't know, and I don't know that anybody would actually look into it, because, like I said, I think this is like. It's so deep. So much deeper than we could ever imagine. Well, and then it was connected to another pornography ring, a child pornography ring in Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. And then a- Louisiana. A, I thought Alaska, too? I have I didn't hear about Alaska, but I know Louisiana and it's, yeah, it's, it's huge. Fucking everywhere. Right. So- Another theory I heard is that if the lieutenant's son was somehow involved, again, they thought Archibald could be a suspect because of the firefighter badge, but this lieutenant's son could have also been possibly showing a badge to get these children to come with him, if you think about it. But obviously, like, at this point, like, what do you even believe, you know? What do you like? Where do you even start with that? Like, it just seems like a massive cover up. It's so messy. Yeah. And like, we know that people in power were involved with North Fox Island. So, who's to say there's not a whole operation of people that tried to? bury this either because they were involved or because they didn't want to be killed right or whatever the reason may be whoever they're threatening yeah but either way the two cases have to be connected you have frank and gerald running the pedophile ring on north fox island they're connected to chris and greg uh-huh. who were considered suspects in the oakland county child and, killings and known pedophiles and then you have bob moore who is selling child pornography to frank and Bob hung out with Ted Lamborghini, who was known to wash his victims after assaulting them. Frank was able to get away because the warrant for his arrest was delayed for so long. So who's protecting them? They're all connected. And if Chris, say Chris Bush, say he's the one who killed the, the children... You don't think he was somehow connected to North Fox Island? He was on the donor list. Right. So what happened? They brought that one child back and had to bring him to the hospital because they were afraid of him dying. And they said, yeah, we can't let this happen again. We're just going to start killing him because we don't want to get caught. I mean. Who's to say that's not what happened? Right. That's it's so it's horrifying, but it's so true because that's how their mind would work. Yeah. Another thing I heard from the Crime Junkie podcast talked about a documentary about the case where an anonymous man claimed to have seen the third victim, Christine Mahulik, who, if you remember, went missing after walking to 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. 
And this person said that they saw Christine get into an unmarked car with a man in a police uniform. Also, he said that he, I mean, he was asked, like, why didn't you report it? He said, I did. I called it into the tip line when he heard that Christine had had showed up murdered. And he's telling this person, like, hey, this is what I saw. And they're just like, no, you didn't. Like, you're crazy. You're just a young kid. You don't know what you saw. She still took the tip down. And police did go to him to, quote unquote, follow up. But he's this anonymous person says they weren't there to follow up on the tip at all. They were there to threaten him. They pushed his face down into a desk and said, if you ever speak of this again, we're going to ruin your life. We're going to take your parents away from you. You're going to be an orphan. And so he never spoke of it again except in this interview, which is why he probably went anonymous. Um, so obviously, if that's true, that definitely changes things. Because if you remember, someone said that they saw Christine walking back towards her, her house. Mm-hmm. So how do you know what to believe? Like, I can't imagine being the families of these victims. Oh, my God. I definitely am interested to know, like, what our listeners think. Yeah. About what happened. Because, like, the case is still unsolved. Which is maddening. It is. It's, It's a lot of information with a lot of people connected to it. It's frustrating that there's no, like, clear cut answer. And I think because there are so many people involved, there are so many different possible outcomes it it just makes it so messy and hard to follow and yeah it could be any of them or it could be none of them (laughs) you know right like how do you even know you're on the right track you don't so definitely something going on with not a single person willing to talk and all the people ending up dead and i wonder like how much they compared like the other like Louisiana and the Tennessee, like, do we have the same players involved in that? Like, yeah, I'd, what kind of web is this weaving? Right. I'd be interested to know, like, like what they found out about that, and does it show us anything about this case? Right. You know, but right. that's a whole other it's deep a, dive. Right. That, it's a totally <sighs> different can of worms. Yeah. Right. Like, my question is, is it also? filled with cover-ups and all these wacky things happening or people dying and or just randomly shutting up and yeah like that's so weird like the people who might have a little bit of information that could point detectives in the right direction just going silent all of a sudden out of nowhere like something is going on right it's just so many deaths and so much unknown but i feel like we know so much but we also know nothing yeah because every avenue that they followed has ended in a dead end because of because of people ending up dead mm -hmm. people not talking or you know whatever it may be fleeing the country (laughs) yeah (sighs) so yeah i definitely 
encourage everyone to comment what their thoughts are either on YouTube or Spotify, wherever you're listening or watching. Well, I think there's like you can ask like what do you th- what did you think of today's episode? Like oh, really? there's like a question sticker, I think. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. If not, then I'll just take that or, part out. You know, just hop on the Patreon. You know, that's it's always an option. Um, yeah, but seriously, I'm very curious to know what everyone else thinks. I am too. This is something that could drive me crazy though. Like, I got to file this away and just, like, move on with my life because looking into this for the past two weeks has literally been, like, keeping me awake at night. I mean, (laughs) kudos to you for diving so deep. I mean, when, when I first heard it years ago, it, it's always been something in the back of my mind. Yeah. Like, when we were talking about subjects to talk about, that was one of my first ones just because it's just... How does it not stick with you? Right exactly yeah and how is it not near as big as other as it, yeah. cases like i agree like why is it not up there with fucking jeffrey dahmer right i mean they're both fucking horrible but why do you why does no one know i don't know maybe because it's unsolved or maybe because there's so many different people that are involved that it's just so much right. to it I just it just pisses me off i know baffles me yeah god um so yeah that is all for our episode today if you are interested in more of our content then definitely go check out our patreon it is patreon.com slash oddities on elm street and please go to my instagram and make sure to enter the giveaway enter enter Enter. It'll be ending next week Friday. Next week Friday. It'll be ending this week Friday. It'll be the twelfth. On the twelfth. Uh, if you can't remember the link, just click Follow it. Follow it in the podcast description. I'll have it there. Beautiful. Um. Let us know your thoughts. Yeah. And while you're doing that, send in uh listener tales. Oh yeah, listener tales at gmail dot com. That's, that's what you gotta do. Fucking doozy. I know. So yeah, that's all we have for you today. I hope you all have a lovely week. And remember to always keep, keep it spooky. spooky.